to me, well-being in the workplace encompasses everything from the moment I hit my workplace door, mm-hmm. the experience that I feel mm-hmm. when I walk inside. You know, one of the things that I enjoy the most is talking to people that I've just become connected with or people that I've just met. And today's episode is exactly that type of conversation. As I welcome Kabibi Springs with Herman Miller to today's podcast, as we talk about the rest and recovery of the corporate athlete. But before I let you go today, I wanted to make you aware of a change that we made in the location of the show notes. So the show notes for this episode can be found at sidmeadows.com forward slash episode 38. And there you can find all the notes from today's episode. And I hope that you enjoy this episode. I'm Sid Meadows, and I'm a certified professional coach. And my focus is on high performance and growth and helping my clients move into action. I'm a personal and professional development junkie, an avid podcast listener and reader. My passion is all things contract interiors. In this podcast, I'm going to provide you with information, education, ideas, and tools to help you in your personal life, your business, and our industry. So let's have some fun and welcome to the Trend Report Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of the Trend Report Podcast. I'm really glad that you're here today for what I promise is going to be a really, really fun conversation and something I'm really excited about learning about. So I'd like to welcome my guest, Kabibi Springs, to the podcast. Hey, Kabibi, how are you? Hey, Sid. Thank you so much for having me today. Well, I'm glad that you're here, and I'm glad to uh, welcome you to share your areas of expertise with our community. So let's jump in and tell everybody listening today who you are, what you do, and where you work. Sure. My name is Kabibi Springs, and I work for Herman Miller. I am, this is a mouthful, a workplace well-being knowledge lead. I've been with Herman Miller for five years, and prior to that, I worked in uh, change management consulting, coaching and PR. Okay. So workplace well-being management. Knowledge lead. Workplace well-being knowledge lead. What exactly is that? (laughs) So my team, we're a small but mighty team of three people, and we are regionally allocated to the East Coast, the West Coast, and the Central. And what we do is we support our teams in that knowledge base around well-being and the connection to the workplace as it leads to those three buckets of ergonomics, physical, cognitive, and social. And also all of the things that we are now seeing and what I have known for a long time, because this is what I've been studying about how well-being affects our work productivity, our engagement, Mm -hmm. our output. Sure. Yeah. So it's a, it's absolutely a really important conversation right now about well-being in the workplace, especially when the workplace has become your home. Absolutely. Not all cases is it actually a home office. It may be your bedroom or your kitchen table. And <laughs> or that, in some cases, some people have been doing things in the bathroom because that's oh. <laughs> the only quiet place that they can find. <laughs> you know, with kids running around the house, I totally understand searching for that quiet place, right? Absolutely. So now prior to coming to Herman Miller, you said you worked in coaching and marketing and PR. What got you interested in the world of furniture? So it was actually not necessarily the world of furniture that got me interested, but it was this conversation around people at work that piqued my interest. 
So I have a friend who also happens to be a teammate now. We Mm. ended up working together. She worked in the industry. I was doing a wellness coaching business at the time. And I was coaching a positive psychology program for corporate entities. And she kept telling me, this industry is going to be very receptive to your message. They talk Mm. a lot about the workplace and how people are affected. And I had seen an ad for Herman Miller in Los Angeles, and it was all about people. And I, and I remember saying to myself, I have no idea what this Herman Miller does, but I love what they say about people. And then a few months later, connecting the dots, she was going to take a role that also they happened to have the same role available in Atlanta. And it was a position teaching ergonomics and the importance of ergonomics, which I had also never been introduced to. But as a wellness coach, once I started learning about what ergonomics was, I said, this is the practical everyday element that affects Mm well-being. All of those other things are ancillary to this. If people can figure this part out, they'd be, you know, a few steps ahead of the curve on being able to manage how they feel every day. Okay. And how long have you been at Herman Miller? Five years. Okay. Awesome. So now if I remember correctly, you are in the process of getting your PhD. I am. I'm on the last leg. So final chapters, draft submissions, defense this quarter. That's awesome. So what's that journey been like getting a PhD? It has been a journey of diligence and patience. And I went into it with this idea that, you know, this will probably be, I started my career in PR and marketing. I made a transition after my master's in IO psychology into consulting, which to me was just more I was a communications major as an undergrad. Uh So it was more communication, but with a different skill set applied to it. Mm -hmm. And so in the third leg of my career, so to speak, I kept thinking, what do I want to be involved with, engaged with on a day-to-day basis? And this area of well-being has always been a part of my life in some way or another. Mm -hmm. In my early 20s, I had a panic attack that left me thinking a lot about stress in the workplace and how we spend our time at work. And so I started looking around me and wasn't finding very many really positive examples of work-life balance and happiness with the full package of life, which is your career and your work. And I'm one of those people, I couldn't wait to get through undergrad because I wanted a job. I wanted to get into the workforce. I love working. I love working with people. I love moving projects forward. But I hit, a, I hit a wall myself where I realized you don't understand the level of energy and stress that you put into work. And then you didn't notice it until it took you down a mm-hmm. notch. Sure. And so from there, I decided to go and open a mobile spa business that was catered towards corporate America oh. and bringing some of the spa element that I love to restore my energies into sure. the workplace. I closed that business around the last, the top of the last recession and went back into the marketing field for a little while and then started thinking about going back to school. And when I started thinking about going back to school, this degree popped up. I'd always been told you're a great listener. You'd make a great psychologist. And I said, yes, but I do not enjoy listening to people talk about their problems in perpetuity. So I'm probably not the best fit for that, but I started to take some courses And I fell in love with this body of research and this work and this element of well-being that's woven into that research was like the perfect fit for me. So what actually is your um, PhD going to be in? Industrial organizational psychology. And my industrial organizational psychology. Okay. Yes. And then my emphasis or my dissertation topic is around rest and recovery breaks in the workplace 
and how they correlate to our levels of stress with technology as well as well-being. Wow. So how long has a PhD, how long has that process taken you? It's five years, which is exactly the amount of time I thought. With a full-time job, I knew that one class at a time was probably going to be the only thing I could manage. And I just kept that pace up and just paced it out and said, by 2021, I'll be crossing that stage. That's awesome. And we get to officially call you doctor. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Khabibi. I love it. But not the kind that can fix your finger. That's true. (laughs) That's very true. So that's actually the topic that we're going to talk about today, because when we were chatting in our prep call about this, I got really intrigued by this topic of rest and recovery of the corporate athlete. And I think it's such an important conversation to have, and I want to get into it and I want, but in just a minute. Before that, I want to ask you one more question, sure. which is, can you explain to our listeners actually the role it is that you play at Herman Miller and how you yes. support the field sales team and Herman Miller with what your job is? Yes. So my, my role is to kind of keep in tune with where our clients are having questions about how their space planning is going to correlate to well-being. And we all know that well-being is still trying to find its traction on its ROI, but the VOI on well-being is pretty well known. We know that it does increase productivity. We know that if we were diligent about tracking it, we could see those numbers on, you know, absenteeism go down, Presenteeism, however, is one of those things that would be more on the value on investment because we don't really know when someone's present but not working. We can make assumptions. But to me, having come from a coaching background and being able to see inside other organizations and to hear other employees talk about their workplace and what they feel is going awry in as far as the personal dynamics and the culture, and then putting them through these steps to take ownership of their own behavior and how they show up every day is what kind of led me into this field of work. So what I do with the sales teams is wherever our clients are at in their understanding of that, either deepening that knowledge for them and drawing that those dots and those connections between how this is going to pay off for you in the long run, and also highlighting for them what they should be looking at. Like if you're designing for ergonomics, what does that look like? from the desk to the entire floor plate? Um, How are you making people comfortable? And then today, it's been a lot about making sure your people are comfortable at home, that they're not going to return to the workplace with a bunch of injuries that you're going to have to deal with. Sure. And I think that's just relatable for everyone. I too myself have been challenged with, you know, I work during the day, I'm studying at night. Mm -hmm. And so those ergonomic posture changes have become more important. The exercise has become more important. So I think it's fascinating and it's great to know that companies like Herman Miller are paying attention to this and helping their customers with this type of assessment and valuation, because I do believe that well-being in the workplace is under-talked about, but over-talked about as well. And (laughs) I mean, I do believe, I mean, I don't think we talk about it enough, but then we talk about it too much because I think we're talking about the wrong thing. So from your perspective, what really is well-being or wellness in the workplace? To me, well-being in the workplace encompasses everything from the moment I hit my workplace door, Mm -hmm. the experience that I feel Mm -hmm. when I walk inside. So if you've ever worked in a place that wasn't uh, too focused on aesthetic, (laughs) you know, you maybe didn't notice that the place wasn't lighting you up inside until you walked into someone else's office and you realized, well, why doesn't our office look this way? Mm -hmm. 
So that's one element of it. People and the interactions that they have with each other every day, to me, are the biggest component of well-being that we don't necessarily talk about. We talk about it when we think about, you know, the the subject of uh, body of research around organizational citizenship behavior. And in my uh, master's program, I studied workplace bullying Mm. because I was very interested in understanding who does that affect the most? Does it affect the employer? Does it affect the person who's being bullied? And it turns out it actually affects everyone around that scenario more so than those two people involved because it makes people uncomfortable and they start thinking, I don't want to be next or, you know, the the environment itself becomes toxic. Mm -hmm. And so with that understanding, I started thinking about, well, what are some of the microaggressions that we experience just from personalities rubbing up against each other on a daily basis and how much energy is required of every individual to really be thoughtful about our communication with each other, clarity, making sure that we understand the other person's role and how we work together. That's, that's a full-time job on top of doing your job, (laughs) you know, just the people dynamics Mm -hmm. of it. Okay. And then there's the home piece and how you're bringing yourself to work and all with all of the things that are going on individually in your home environment. Sure. So your personal life and how it's impacting. So what you Mm -hmm. said was the feeling that you have when you walk in the building, the, honestly, the energy that's created by walking into the space, the positive energy that is generated when you walk into the space, right? That what in coaching, because I'm a certified coach as well. And in coaching yes. world, we call that anabolic energy, positive energy. Mm-hmm. And, so, and I think that's really important because it underscores the importance of the aesthetics of the space, lighting, texture, the flow of the space, right? So Absolutely. Color. Yeah, color. Absolutely. Because it makes you feel good. Like color, Mm -hmm. access to natural light, biophilic design, all those kinds of things really make, they they make up your energy when you walk in the space. So if it's drab and gray and pink from the 1970s, you're going to have one feeling versus walking into a building that's a little bit more up to date with brighter colors and a cleaner workspace. You're going to have a different feeling when you walk there. Absolutely. It's like putting on uh, an outfit that's wrong for the occasion. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's something, and I don't know the specific research, but research proves better that you're dressed, the better that you feel. And the absolutely, you project your personality and your positive energy to the people around you. So. Absolutely. Same with your posture and putting yep. a smile on your face. And yes, yep. all of those things matter. Which I've been working from home for I don't know, way too long to talk about, right? Because I mean, myself is included. My corporate jobs that I've had for the last multiple years have all had me working from home, right? Regardless of what day of the week it is, by 6.30, I am up, I am dressed, dress shoes and all, and ready to go in my office. Now I might have on jeans, but I'm still dressed because I know it has a direct correlation to how I perform that day. So Absolutely. I saw, uh, and we're digressing, but I saw a LinkedIn post from somebody that showed a picture of shoes and said, I'll be glad when I can, they were dress shoes. I'll be glad when I can wear these again. My first thought was, (laughs) I've been wearing them every day. What are you talking about? Wear them again, get up and get dressed, put your dress shoes on and go into your office and work because it has a direct correlation to your productivity, right? Yes. So, sorry, we went down a rabbit hole there, guys. No. Uh, The the three things were feeling of energy, walking into a space, 
people interactions. And I call, I'm going to call that connectivity with your coworkers, right? And yes. feeling connected to them. And that sense of community that we've lost in a big way for the last nine months or so. And then the impact of your home environment as you bring that into the office were the three that I wrote down. Absolutely. Okay. So let's talk about how this correlates. And thank you for explaining that, by the way, because I want to be sure that everybody understood from your perspective what well-being means, right? So let's talk about the rest and recovery of the corporate athlete. I love the title because I think it's something really important, but I want to start a little bit in reverse order, I think. Sure. Define a corporate athlete. Okay. So first, let me say, I did not coin the term the corporate athlete. Okay. Back in 2001, I'm not, I wasn't quite sure if they're still in business, but there is a consulting firm called the Energy Project. And uh, Jim Lore and uh, Tony Schwartz were the ones who coined the term the corporate athlete. And what they looked at was peak performance of athletes and how they could correlate that to those of us who work every day. Uh, number of hours, number uh, amount of prep time that we have. And so when you think about an athlete, they practice for an event, usually one that is going to be intense, but maybe further down the road. Now, my favorite sport, NBA season, they're practicing in the off season, but their game schedule has some recovery time built into it, or else they would not make it to sure. the playoffs, right? If they even make it to the playoffs. I always think when it comes to like scheduling my vacation time or a break, using my PTO for something other than being sick, mm -hmm. what does that ratio really look like for me? And it depends on what I have going on. So with my role, I'm giving presentations quite frequently. Some of them are back to back. Some of them require an intense amount of research prior, a lot of writing a lot of, you know, making sure that the presentation itself is going to resonate with the audience. And so after each round of creating something, how much rest and recovery time do I need mm -hmm. afterwards before right. I start the next one in order okay. to give it the same amount of quality? If I'm giving presentations back to back, how much time do I need in between to make sure that, you know, the second group gets the same kind of presentation that the first group got sure, from an absolutely. energy level and presence. Yes. So basically you're, you're correlating a corporate athlete to a athlete that plays a sport and their activities as it relates to from an athlete perspective, their practice schedule, their game schedule, and that they're incorporated rest periods in there for recovery. So you mentioned NBA and you're a big basketball uh, fan. So I'm a soccer fan. Okay. I, in, in addition to co college football, I'm a soccer uh -huh. fan, but, and that's predominantly because my daughter plays soccer. Okay. And she'll be playing collegiate soccer in the fall at Stephen F. Austin State University in Nacogdoches, Texas. And so I watch her and her practice schedules and then the game schedules. And one of the things at the high school and the club level that they don't do and that she's not really been gifted with is that rest period. Because when you're in high school and you're playing club soccer, it's not uncommon for you to play two games a day or four to five games over the course of a weekend when you're in a tournament. There's no rest time there. And so Correct. when she comes home, and, you know, after the last game and sleeps for 20 hours, I'm just kind of looking at her like, well, why are you being so lazy? <laughs> the reality is 
she's recovering because she's exerted so much energy. And honestly, that's what so many of us do in the workplace. As corporate athletes, whether it's right or wrong, we've been conditioned that long hours means more productivity and better work when in fact it really doesn't correlate to that. But we don't give ourselves the gift of rest and relaxation or recovery. We don't. We're still giving back too many hours of vacation time. But I think I I had an experience recently uh, where I had to kind of test myself on my ability to practice what I preach and be vulnerable enough to say exactly what it is that I'm, I'm doing. Right. So it's, you know, the holiday period and I had enough time to take a full two weeks off which I needed. It's been a, it's been a busy, stressful year. And I'm like, I like to take that time at the end of the year to just completely power down so Mm -hmm. that at the top of the year, my energy is the highest level it can be. Right. But then when you're asked, what are you going to do with all that time? You find yourself going through this mental loop of like, what would sound feasible to someone else for me taking that much time? And in the middle of COVID, where we know no one's really traveling, I couldn't say, yeah, I'm going on a big old trip. (laughs) You're not. (laughs) So I said, you know what? Say exactly what it is, which is I'm going to take time to not look at my phone, to not be a slave to the email, Mm -hmm. to not be involved in long Zooms and conference calls, even with family. I I opted out of the family Zooms. And I've had to tell my family, like, this is our our world every day is being on camera. And it just doesn't have the same feeling sometimes. Like I can't be fully present because I'm exhausted from Mm -hmm. the use of this technology. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's, um, you know, we still wear stress and overwork as somewhat of a badge of honor. Mm -hmm. And it certainly has a lot to do with whoever we're talking to and what we think their perception of how much we work, how much time we take off, how much rest we put into ourselves. But I think it's because we talk about it in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been laughing at the Seinfeld, George Costanza sleeping under his desk. But what if, you know, one episode, George said, I do that because I'm working until eight. And so that nap in the middle of the day, is helping me to go the long haul, mm-hmm. or I need that sleep in order to produce my best thoughts, or maybe even that's when my best thoughts come to me mm-hmm. as I'm, you know, at, in that state of being. And there is work going on. If you think about some of the things that you do for work that are not writing an email, typing something up, you know, very tangible, what I'll call work activities. If you're just standing around thinking about something, ideating, but you're not with a group, we don't necessarily count that as work sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know, we could be in the kitchen making a cup of tea, but we're churning over some thoughts and trying to make, you know, processes click. And so that time away or doing something else is actually helping that to gel better together than sitting in front of the computer looking like you're working the entire time. Well, when you think about, and I know I've done it, you know, judgment is the easiest thing for any person to pass to someone, right? To judge someone based on their appearance, you know, the the tone of voice that they use, whatever it is, right? We, we as human beings, judging people is super easy. And so- It's super easy to judge the person that's sitting there at their desk, not working, 
because we perceive they're not working. But to your point, they might be ideating. They might be trying to solve a critical problem by thinking through the results of actions that might be taken. So just because you're sitting there doesn't mean that you're not working. But I do like the how you correlated that, that that quiet time, people don't necessarily correlate to work. Because they're just typing an email or writing or doing something that they perceive to be work, right? Yeah, or even needing a little space in the day yeah. to catch your breath. I think breath is another thing that we don't talk about enough at work. So now that we understand the definition of the corporate athlete and who that person is and kind of the role that they play, what kind of tips or advice would you give them for rest and recovery? Okay. So first I want to say that, you know, we're all corporate athletes. If we're, if we're engaged in our work, we're passionate about what we're producing every day. We're exercising some skill set, athleticism in a corporate sense towards that every day. So what we find when we think about ergonomics and we talk about the proper postures that you need to be in to support your body through your work throughout the day, built into that message is this concept of a rest and a pause which we don't necessarily give enough credence to mm-hmm. because I always tell people when I'm training them, when you're working and you're intently working on a, on a project, you're in a state of flow or urgency. Sometimes it's just urgency. I need to get this done. We work past our threshold of uh, physical tolerance at times. We sit longer than we, it feels good in our body. We type longer than it feels good in our wrists and our hands. We might be getting a headache and we know we need to take a pause, but we kind of power through that for the service of getting, meeting the deadline, hitting the goal versus taking a thoughtful step back. And and this is something that working on a dissertation has taught me. This is not something I can like bang out on a crush it, you know, in two hours. So pacing, taking a look at a big project and going, okay, if that's where I need to go, This is maybe how many hours I need to put towards it. In between, in order for this to be the best thing possible, I need to schedule in some little breaks to give myself a pause, to step away from it, come back and look at it with fresh eyes because we get into this kind of tunnel thinking at times. And then when it comes to our physical body and the ergonomics of it, making sure that we actually force ourselves to take breaks because we know we're not really great at Mm -hmm making that call on our own. If it's work over self, we will typically choose work. So (laughs) yes. And then all of the things outside of work, you know, which we know Ariana Huffington has been on a mission to make sure that people get better quality sleep for years now. That is a, a huge issue. And just the knowledge that some of us, many of us are coming to work with, um, a sleep deficit, you know, that we have challenges sleeping. And so we're coming to the work tired. We're coming to work, not necessarily feeling as clear in the brain as possible. If we are not exercising, we're not bringing that energy to the workplace. Mm -hmm. So all of those things are not just for our personal lives. They actually very much apply to our work Mm -hmm. and how we are replenishing ourselves. So some of the recovery can be active, like taking a walk, getting in a nice bike ride. And some of that recovery needs to be very passive and introspective, taking a pause a moment for mindfulness, a moment for meditation. Mm -hmm. And I do consider those two different things. To me, mindfulness is about really paying attention to what you're doing in every moment. And then meditation is that break that your brain needs to maybe capture some things that are mulling around in the back that you would love to come to the forefront because that's where all the good stuff is. 
but being very intentional about how we take those pauses Mm -hmm. and what it is that we're going to do when we take them. So what I've studied is an understanding of the quality of breaks that we take at work and sample size of like 122 people. Most of us are taking, okay, quality breaks, not stellar. We're talking about work during breaks. We're talking to, to other people, but we call it a break. Sure. But it's not really the kind of break that would be personally replenishing. That's going to, it's not the type of break that's going to recharge you. And exactly. Energize you. So what exactly. I heard you say were there really two types of breaks, right? Rest and recovery, if you will, mental mm-hmm. and physical. Yes. And so the mental aspect is letting go in your mind of the work, right? Resetting, whether that's through mindfulness or meditation, mm-hmm. like taking a step back. And there's lots of ways you can do that, guys. I mean, so, I mean, if you, if you're not into meditating, but wanted to try it, I mean, it's as much as just sitting quietly in your chair with your eyes closed, work on your breathing, slow your breathing down, make sure you're taking a lot of oxygen and just try to release all that clutter from your brain, right? Absolutely. So it's a great thing to do. And most people think of meditation as, you know, I've got my legs crossed, I'm sitting on the floor and there's incense in the room. And that's not <laughs> necessarily what meditation it is, is. It absolutely is not. In fact, I try to people that I know may have an opinion about meditation. I just say, just focus on your breathing. Yeah. That's really what it is, is a focus on breath. And many years ago, I did a little survey of wellness managers at different companies to find out, like, what are you guys working on? Like, what's your next focus for your corporate employees? And the wellness manager for LinkedIn at the time, he said, breathing. And I just got so excited because I am one of those people that when I am intently involved in a project, I stop breathing. My breathing goes very shallow. It's like the concentration level is so intense. All that energy focuses up here Mm -hmm. into something else. And then all of a sudden I'll go, (sighs) you know, like, because I have stopped breathing to a certain extent. And he was explaining, because he had a a physical training background, that that is one of the things that people, we don't breathe diaphragmatically enough. Sure. It's not necessarily about meditation. It's about getting that good oxygen flow into the body. Right. And if you happen to meditate at the same time, yeah, great. (laughs) When you you say that you're so like what you described is so focused that you stop breathing, you're depriving your body of oxygen and blood flow. And there's so many potential impacts that can happen, especially if you're in a seated position, right? That, I mean, so, you know, taking that mental break is so important, right? And I I think meditation is just one way, but I think there are a lot of ways you can just release all of that work stuff from your brain to take a mental break because Mm -hmm. it will recharge you and refresh you. And I do believe that you can come back and look at that same project and look at it, maybe a little different perspective, different eyes. It's it's a wonder what some oxygen will do to uh, provide some clarity and new thoughts. (laughs) Absolutely. So now let's talk about the physical aspect. So, I mean, it seems more obvious than the mental aspect, but the physical aspect could be things like, let me get up, let me walk outside. It's a pretty sunny day. And let me walk around the block for five minutes, something like that. Right. Absolutely. And I think, you know, for some of us, we either talk ourselves out of that activity Mm -hmm. because we'd rather keep moving projects forward, or we're worried about somebody seeing us do that, or, you know, who's ever thought, well, I'm going to be gone for five to 10 minutes. What if someone comes by my desk looking for me? 
mm-hmm. and I'm not there, what are they going to think? Mm-hmm. Or but what I think that we, important email comes in that, you know, we could talk for hours about emails, but we won't do that. But right. I mean, mental block that we talk ourselves out of doing things, physical activity that also helps our bodies. We talk ourselves out of it because of what we perceive to be importance of other things. Absolutely. We do not put ourselves first. It's, it's like they say, put your own oxygen mask on first. And when it comes to work, I think with good intention, we are very much about our work. And I think one of the reasons why the wellness well-being message has become, you say we talk about it a lot, but we don't talk about it enough, is because there's still some underlying feeling that whenever possible, an employee is going to cheat an employer out of their hours of the day or what they should be putting in. When the reality is, to me, that is very that is the very minority of employees who go to work to not actually do their part. I think most people go in to, to put in as much effort as possible in a day to do the best that they possibly can. Mm-hmm. And they have done so to their own detriment. Mm-hmm. But where there is a feeling that the culture finds it to be of great importance that everyone is feeling their best, not necessarily pushing, you know, exercise is good for you, but we know we can't force people to exercise. And that doesn't, someone's outward appearance doesn't always match up with what's going on in here and Mm -hmm. what's going on in here and how they are bringing energy into the workplace. That just might be their personal struggle that they're dealing with, but it's, it's only one piece of the puzzle. And so when we look at, you know, people who bring great energy to work, we might find that they have different types of routines than what we might imagine. Some of them may be physical, but they're not physical as in running or cycling. Maybe they do Tai Chi. Maybe they do some kind of very gentle type of exercise that clears their energy and makes them good for their organization and ready to give. Mm -hmm. So really what this is about is I'm listening to you talk. It's really about prioritizing self-care. And that's where rest and recovery will help you perform better as a corporate athlete and help you do a better job overall. And you've got to release judgment from anybody else and what they may think about the fact that you're walking around outside because you're walking around outside doesn't mean that you lost productivity or that you're not committed to your job. It means you needed a physical and maybe mental break to recharge and to rest and recover from the work or the project that you just completed. So, you know, the majority of the world is working from home right now. And (laughs) so what tips would you give to people working from home about prioritizing their rest and their recovery? I think that we have seen technology, what with all of its greatness to connect us during this time frame it has begun to diminish our sense of well-being. And so I think the more breaks that just being aware of how our days are stacked. So I've seen organizations create these mandates of 50 minute meetings so that there's a 10 minute buffer between the top of the hour and the next meeting. Those were simple things that we could have controlled on our own at some point, but everyone's kind of working on their own clock, right? So the person who's scheduling the meeting is not necessarily looking at the fact that you only have a, 30 minute window between two days that are filled with meetings. They want to fill that spot. too. (laughs) So you have to be proactive about blocking out your own time. Mm -hmm. Many, many years ago, I read something that stuck with me 
and it was about Oprah's schedule and how she makes her assistant schedule 15 minutes between every meeting. Mm-hmm. And I always wondered, what does she do in those 15 minutes? And I was like, as I you know started to learn more about this, what well-being means to us, I'm like, she's doing something to make her good for the next meeting, yep. whether that's shutting up for a moment, you know, taking a moment of quiet, mm-hmm. or maybe she's, uh, you know, having a laugh with a friend that is necessary for the day because we spend so many hours at work, mm-hmm. but just even, you know, 10 to 15 minutes of something that's just for yourself, whether that's, I have a friend who does a tea ritual every day in the middle of her day, she goes and makes tea. She watches it steep. She uses that as a time to get a breather. And that's her way of breaking up the the monotony of being in one space. Right. And she said, I, I do that even if I'm in an office, like I have to have that little ritual of wellness in the middle of my day. Sure. So prioritizing this and the correlation that you just brought, which is something I absolutely love is block timing. And however you do it, put time on your calendar, basically make an appointment with yourself to block time to prioritize your rest and recovery so that you can perform at your peak. And absolutely, whether it's block timing 15 minutes between each call or block timing a 10 minute walk or whatever it is. I mean, I remember even very recently looking at my calendar and I remember this one day very vividly because I had someone reach out to me that wanted to talk to me that day and I couldn't talk to him that day. And the reason I couldn't talk to him was, Every hour on the hour, I had a Zoom call. By the end of the day, I was utterly exhausted. And this started at 7.30 in the morning and went all the way to 5.30 in the afternoon. There was no break. I mean, Yeah, you were probably a mess that day. I was. was, Absolutely. Though we think that by looking at our calendar and seeing all these appointments that, oh, we're being super productive and we're moving the ball forward and we're getting so much work done, actually hurting ourselves because we're not planning any time for us in that to rest and to recover from the work that we're doing. So my biggest takeaway is that right there, guys, if you're listening to this, put time in your calendar, whether it's 15 minutes or 30 minutes or five minutes to just take a step back and test this and see how this helps you increase your productivity, how it helps clear your mind and how it helps you become a better contributor to your organization. Whether you work for a large company like Kabibi or you work for yourself like me, this is important and it's something that you can do. Because guess what? When that time's blocked off on your calendar and you've made an appointment with yourself, nobody else can steal that time. Absolutely. And nobody needs to know what you're doing with that time either. Just take take what you need Mm -hmm. so that you can give back what you came to give. Whoa. Okay. Say that again, please. Because that's powerful. Take what you need. (laughs) Take what you need so that you can give what you came to give. That's awesome. Khabibi, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on today. I love this conversation. I hope those of you listening got some amazing value and some tips that you can incorporate it into your day. As you continue to be a corporate athlete, they're going to help you rest and recover to perform your best and to do what you're there to do. And um, best of luck to you as you finish your PhD. I'm going to be excited to see that acronym after your name on LinkedIn. So uh, it's a big accomplishment. So Kabibi, if our audience would like to connect with you, what is the best way for them to do that? The best way to connect with me is through LinkedIn. 
Okay. We will drop in the show notes, uh, Khabibi's LinkedIn, a link to her LinkedIn profile. And guys, you can find the show notes. We've moved the show notes for the podcast. We kind of rearranged the website a little bit. So we've moved the show notes. So you can find the show notes to this episode at sidmeadows.com forward slash episode 38, the number 38. So episode 38 is where you can find uh, the show notes for this. Again, Khabibi, thank you very much. And I wish you a very successful 2021. Thank you. Same to you, Sid, and thanks for having me. All right. Take care. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of the Trend Report Podcast. I'm glad that you're here, and I hope that you got some amazing value out of today's conversation. For more about our podcast and this episode and our other episodes, please visit my website at sidmeadows.com. We look forward to seeing you next week and go out there and make today great.